you're listening to the one-on-one football podcast the number one podcast for aussie rules training coaching and development tips my name is andrew rains and i'm the founder of one-on-one football and i'm joined today by the co-host of the show harry simington welcome on board harry thanks mate pleasure to be here and uh looking forward to plenty of episodes to come we're going to probably delve into to my background today, but um, for yourself and and being on board uh, the one-on-one platform as a coach, and and now in the in the admin side of our business, where we're um, we're connecting coaches all the time and and trying to find what sort of young athletes and young footballers um, love about their coaching or, or their or their football and what they want to learn on. So having you just coming out of the I suppose the talent pathways, how we got to know each other at the Gold Coast Suns Academy playing some pretty high level at the under-18s, national level um, yourself and and now coming out of the game, being a, being a coach yourself, it's, it's, it's great to have you on board and and um, I suppose share the knowledge and, and share the skills you've learnt, um, which we'll delve into no doubt throughout our episodes about the strength conditioning side and the high performance side. So yeah, um, stay tuned for more information about that. So I just want to touch on one point, how we first met. Um, I've got a vivid memory and, and it's first impressions always last and we met um, my first day at the job. I was recently retired in 2015 at the Gold Coast Suns and got off the uh, the head coach of the Talent Academy there. And um, in walks in this uh, young 16 year old was um, you know pretty passionate about his game and, and really wanted to learn and, and um, immerse himself in, in a high performance culture. And I never forget the first day we met. Um, you know, it was a strong handshake. I think, mate, um, looked me in the eye and said that you that you really want to um, make it. And, and since then, we've uh, we've had a pretty Good relationship and, and obviously as coach and player and then now um, the business side of things. So Harry is co-host um, today. You've got the uh, the big job of interviewing me. Um, we're going to focus on some topics today that I'm really passionate about. So I'll hand it over to you and and uh, we'll get the ball rolling. Thanks, mate. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll obviously we're going to have a fair few guests on the show, but um, be a bit of a waste if we didn't pick your brains before we got uh, got stuck into anyone else's. So um, for those of you that um, that don't know Rainsy. Um, Obviously, uh, came through the AFL, um, played for three different clubs, 129 games, I think it was, mate. Um, so, like, throughout his career, and um, I've spoken to a few of your teammates, um, Brent Maloney will, uh, will stand behind me on this one, that um, you were sort of renowned for uh, professionalism um, around the club, and I think you were voted by your peers um, twice as the most professional player um, across two different clubs. So, um, I think uh, just continuing with the theme of, um of holistic athlete development um you'll have some really good insights for um for all the listeners but um after 129 games um Rainsy, uh, retired and got straight into um got straight into coaching um where he now runs the academy program on the on the gold coast um head coach of the under 18s allies and um and obviously the uh ceo and founder of of one-on-one football so um i guess today Ramsey I've sort of covered a little bit of it there um but could you just give the listeners a bit of a background on your journey um how'd you first get involved in footy uh, maybe touch on your career for a bit and then um and then how that sort of all built up to your role today and um and yeah just give the listeners a bit of an overview yeah well it's a fair fair journey mate um obviously starting back at a young age of sort of five or six which most of us pick up footy or not all of us for some late comes to the game but I was pretty Pretty early into the game, and those reasons were um, obviously my father, Jeff, um, played over 250 games of AFL football, and um, we moved to the Gold Coast at quite a young age. I was only one or two, moved up from Melbourne. Um, so I knew nothing else but, but AFL, and, and I was really 
passionate about it. Um, and I'd always be in the backyard kicking the football. I wasn't even playing computer games as a kid and um, trying to always get better. And, and over the journey, you realise you start making a few rep teams and, and talent squad, squads and things like that, and you realise, well, I could be okay at this. And obviously having the, the famous last name um, or a last name that's that's familiar with a lot of football followers is, is a bit more looking back, a fair bit of pressure, but at the same time, it's it's a that confidence too to go okay well um you know i had a great coach in my father personal coach i suppose growing up a mentor um and i had the talent um and you just got to mix up with with the work rate and early on i identified that i really wanted to get there i think it was around sort of 15 years of age i think i made a, a the all australian schoolboys team um in the under 15s and that was the first moment my dad sitting me down going if you really want to make the game you can um but it's going to be tough it's not going to be easy and I think those early messages really set the tone for my sort of work rate, dedication, and the ability to sort of never give up. And and it was some uh, a lot of a lot of rocky road uh, to get there. Um, challenges with injuries, even as a young guy um, before I got drafted, and and I said a bit of pressure building up with with uh, trying to get there and and, and fulfil a, a childhood dream, um, which everyone obviously tries to do. Um, and then getting drafted at sort of seventeen was a Again, it's just you, you think back to it and it's, it's gone really fast. But um, back then, you, you're on a plane to board and, and you're going to one of the most the biggest clubs in, or now it is definitely in Australia, Richmond, um, and, and went father-son there back in 2003. As a 17-year-old, you, you could get drafted as a bottom-age player. Um, so I was still underage and, and moving to Melbourne. I was fortunate enough to have some really good family um, down there, family and friends already, and, and I was with a really good host family at the time. So um, moving to Melbourne was a, was a big... I suppose a big, uh, big move for anyone um, growing up on the Gold Coast. But yeah, six years at Richmond, um, and and f- came on the scene pretty quickly. Um, looking looking back, it sort of played. I think in the first two or three years of my career, sort of raced to fifty games. Um, played for Australia in the international rules as runner up in best and fairest, and and the NAB Rising Star. And then a huge hiccup or a setback came in uh, in early two thousand eight, where it dislocated my patella and. Without going into too much detail of that, and we'll probably cover that over episodes to do with resilience and, and injuries and all that sort of stuff, but that sort of hindered my career for about three years, which saw me move north to to Bris- the Brisbane Lions and, and such a great club and, and got back um, to, to Queensland, and that was a huge opportunity for me. Played another five years at Brisbane and, uh, and forged some great relationships. You talk about relationships um, in football and who you meet, that was just incredible and um, I got sort of lifelong mates through through all football clubs, but in particular some really good mates out of, out of Brisbane, and um, and and as you mentioned, Four forged a really sort of professional approach. I had to change my game in a lot lot of ways and become a, an ultra professional. Otherwise, the game was going to go past me. It went pretty quick um, in certain areas um, of the game. I had to really be the most ultra professional, and I I really um, pride of my game on that and my, and my performance. Um, and then my time was up at Brisbane at 28, 29. I was sort of seen as a mature age elderly player in the system and got moved on and, and then was fortunate enough to pick up a, a role at the Gold Coast Suns where I played one year, but I was sort of a mentor coach on field in the Meeple um, and then took, the, as you said before, where I met you in the uh, head coach of the, the Talent um, Academy at the Gold Coast Suns, which is an amazing program for, for local footballers up here that gives them a direct pathway into, into an AFL club if if they're good enough, and now I, um, yeah, coach and mentor um, young footballers, and it's 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 unbelievable. It's just something that I probably 
didn't realise how good it was. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do post-football and I was studying a business degree, hence probably we'll cover soon how one-on-one started, one-on-one football, the platform started. Um, and, and I didn't know if I was going to go into coaching, but it's um, yeah, sort of fallen my feet and been really privileged and honoured to, to take that role the last five years and it's been fantastic. Um, and that's sort of where we are today. A funny year this year with COVID, we've been stood down um, sort of one day a week at the moment with the academy, but um, it's uh, yeah really enjoyable still and, and hopefully it sort of gets back up and running um, next year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know I speak on on behalf of um, a lot of your um, current and former former footballers when we when we say that we're uh, we're quite glad that you chose to get into uh, get into coaching. And you mentioned that um, so obviously growing up in Queensland um, and then get, getting drafted as a seventeen year old to an interstate club in Richmond. Um, we all we all sort of I guess acknowledge that there's a there's quite a fast transition from high school to um, to professional professional sport for those that um that do get drafted um moving into state obviously adds another dimension to that um obviously you had some family down in melbourne but was there anyone in particular that um that sticks out in your mind as as a mentor that helped you transition from um from a 17 year old schoolboy into um into a 17 year old professional athlete yeah there was it was obviously close family friends and um you always you get to melbourne and, and you you sort of mingle or surround yourself with, with people you know and then obviously new people in the footy club. And But I had a, a really strong mentor who played an official sort of mentor role but also as, as a lifelong friend now is a guy called Oberon Pirak who, who mentored and, and was ahead of his time a bit in, in sort of player agency back in the, in the day. He, he sort of took my father and actually my current coach or was my current coach at Richmond at the time, um, Terry Wallace. Um, they were sort of biggest sort of high-profile players in the 80s and Oberon worked with them and I got introduced to to, to Oberon through through that connection and um, Nathan Brown was another player um, who, who was, was under him. So Brown and I were, were pretty close as, as mates at, at Richmond and we used to go around to Oberon's house every sort of Wednesday night during the week and talk all things footy but also to outside of football and I think it gave us a lot of perspective and it was an independent source, not a family member, not a friend uh, or became a friend but more so um, away from the game, not a coach. Um, I think it's really important for young footballers and even coaches, young coaches and any coaches, um, I suppose, through, through the levels of the game, they need that sounding board of, um, of feedback and, and players. And I think uh, Oberon was, was terrific in his role there and still is now, still mentors me a lot. Even though I'm in, 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 on the Gold Coast now, it's um, an only phone call away from, from those sort of strong mentors. But, yeah, couldn't recommend a mentor to high enough of a priority for, for any person. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think having someone to not only sound off your ideas but also um, provide some direction, I guess, with um, with, with where your career is going. And um, I think one concept I've always been fascinated by is is highly motivated footballers wanting to do um, doing extra training. Um, and I guess without um, without the presence of a mentor, um, it can or or a, pro, or a coach or someone that can can sort of encourage them in the right direction. Um, that energy can be, I guess, wasted or um, or perhaps not spent in the best way possible. Um, so, if any of the, the the footballers out there that are um, that are listening in and wondering, um, first off, um, you know, how might I source a mentor, and then um, and then also. Um, what's some advice that you might give to a to a young footballer that, that wants to do a bit extra, but perhaps doesn't have the um, the direction um, or the or the guidance to do so? Well, it's, it's an interesting point you bring up, and I think of I think of you straight away, mate. When when I was coaching you, is 
as to how to balance that. Look, you were super dedicated, and again, talk about professionalism. And hope that's the effect. I think you were, you already liked that, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll take a wrap, and hopefully, I taught you a few <laughs> those things about professionalism. But you, you did work hard from such a young age, and you actually did do too much. And you'd be the first to sort of note that. Now, I don't think that. I don't think it gives you. You'd probably be able to elaborate more on this. I don't think it gives you that injury risk. Um, too much. It's extras can be just doing some touch work and and um, and some short kicking and things like that. But it's a mental fatigue too. So being able to sort of have a rest and know when to have a rest. And um, again, a mentor or a coach can play a critical role in that by um, overseeing your program. And, and to get back to you, I, I know I had to step in a few times with you about um, doing too much, um, even burning the candle both ends, doing university three or four subjects a year. Uh, sorry, a semester and. And, and full-time um, football, playing NEFL football, allies football, um, and, and academy football and club football at times, all in the one year, it's, it's, it's really hard. And um, you don't you want to fine-tune that as a coach. I think you want to be able to promote hard work. And you know the ones that are slacking off anyway. You know the ones, if you come to me and go, hey, I need a rest today or, or I need to have a day off or whatever it is, you know that you've done the work. It's more so the other ones that you, you know that are obviously trying to uh, cut corners. So there's no issue there knowing the number one thing as a coach or a mentor is, is to know your players and, and how they tick. So um, back to the work rate thing, oh, sorry, the, the extras and, and trying to do as much as you can, I think is fantastic. And you should really have a football in your, your hand most days. I think um, you probably were the first to put up your hand always having a footy when I saw you um, and, and the players that really want it do. Um, but it's just it's, it's fine-tuning and making sure you're not doing too much on your legs um, day in, day out and, and that mental fatigue that I spoke about. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I mean, yeah, you mentioned myself when we were, um, when I was coming through the system, I think uh, for a um, for a junior footballer who's got so much motivation to make it to the highest level, it's very easy to just jump to the conclusion that more is is better. Um, and I think even now that nowadays, I still got to remind myself that um, it's perhaps the balance that, that, that provides the real value. And I think, um, I can't remember who, who said it, but I, I heard an awesome quote the other day and it was as a as a coach or a, um, or, or a mentor or, or someone controlling, controlling workload, the end goal is to get the greatest possible performance response with the lowest um, amount of training time. Or, and I like to use the analogy with a lot of the athletes that I coach of, of how are you spending your fuel tickets? And if you're smart enough with, with how you're actually spending the fuel tickets, then you don't need to put every hour of every day into training. Um, and I think, um, obviously a mentor can help you with um with how to be smart about that but um i think the mindset as, a, as an athlete or as a footballer is to recognize that you don't want to spend every fuel ticket you've got but if you're smart enough about it you can you can get the same results um and perhaps recover better and we're talking about um the central nervous system and actually mental fatigue and i think um that mindset of switching from from more is always better is um is perhaps not always the case but um well, it's the, old, it's the old saying. The old saying, I suppose, with uh, less is less is more. Um, sometimes, so being and I talk about you know sort of sharpening the axe. So um, not always having it. You know, if an axeman goes out and he's chopping wood every day and he's got um, you know and he's he starts to blunt his his blade and doesn't sharpen it, where the axeman that goes out and, and, and goes hard for for a day or two, that but then you know comes inside and and sharpens the axe on the day off and then goes back out and he's a bit more efficient. I think that's a really good analogy about. Um, you know, keeping sharp and staying sharp at all times, and you can do the extras and, and do it really well. You've just got to be efficient in those areas. And assuming, though, in saying that, 
making sure you've got the foundations there. So as a young footballer, and as, as you know, and as I know, and a lot of our listeners would, I think from the ages of sort of eight years of age to, to 15, 16, you can get a lot of hours into yourself. You're out the backyard, you're kicking that footy, you're playing with mates, you pull up a lot. You know, you might have your growing pains and things like that. As long as you're not overdoing it by, again, probably out of my scope here, by lifting too many weights or things like that. Um, skill-based stuff, I mean, you can be out there all, all day, every day, um, doing a lot as, as a young footballer. Yeah, so um, yeah. you mentioned um, mentioned sharpening sharpening the axe just before. Um, have you got any, um, I guess, simple tips that you can um, that you can do walking around with a footy, or um, is there a way you can get out some extra skill development without um, to continue using the phrase without spending too many fuel tickets? Yeah, I think back to before when I mentioned about sort of young kids being able to, I think at early age, early age being able to sort of hone in on the one skill um, and really. Uh, break that skill down and see if it's something like kicking to, to, to get as many hours you can talk about 10,000 hours and, and just really hone in on that skill and try to become a master at it. I think that's really important from um, that aspect. But um, And then you've got your, your game style and your game sense sort of drills. That, um, again, back in the backyard with kids and running around, that, that'll create so many um, really good decision-making drills or, or decision-making skills that, they, sorry, that they'll, they'll gain from that. Um, then when you get a bit older, as you said before, I think there's there's just some there's some drills you can there's some drills you can do around your football game, um, whether it's goal kicking, um, but it's 20 meters out or it's aiming for target that's 20 30 meter out without doing it full 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 tilt. Um, I'm a big believer that when I first went to Richmond, um, we had our a day off on it might have been Thursday before for a Saturday game, and it was a it was a roster day off, um, and everyone got it because we worked on weekends. Um, but then you'd, you'd go into the club and you'd see um, all the good players in there doing their extras and, and, and it just it sort of grew from there that I'd go in every Thursday and we, I, early days I put on a lot of weight. I came to Richmond, I think it was 70 kilos and I had to sort of put on a fair bit of weight. So I'd do extra weights on a Thursday or um, you know, I was working on my, my opposite foot or my kicking or whatever it was or uh, marking. Uh, I'd, I'd go and work on that each Thursday and I think that really grew over time for me to be able to, to, to put the runs on the board early and I probably did overwork a bit early days and then when I got older, I assumed that I, I probably had the foundations down pat and I'd have to then strip back um, my drills a tiny bit or all my extras that I was doing probably couldn't go as far out as I was at 8 or 19 years of age, if that sort of makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that the, the concept of, of rocking up to training, knowing that, um, that you're here to get better and you're here to learn, it sort of... You know, if you've got half an hour before before a training session, it's that's half an hour that you can that you can spend those fuel tickets. It's half an hour that you can, mm. um, uh, I guess that you can do something that someone else is not. Um, and I remember back in the days at the academy, we, um, again, it sort of tie, it sort of links in with um, the concept of um, of doing extras, but also having direction around it. Um, I remember we used to have in uh, in change room two, I think it was in yeah, at Metricon Stadium, on the wall we had. Um, a, I think you put up a checklist um, of a certain um, a certain few drills, like little handball drills that um, that for those of us that got there early after school um, could jump into and 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 just tick boxes. Um, I, th- I think it was motivated by the Bulldogs of 2016. We called it the we called it the handball club. Um, so yeah, just maybe um, could you give the give the listeners a bit of an overview of how that um, idea came to fruition and. Um, and how they might look, um, perhaps if there's if there's coaches out there listening, how they might look to implement something similar uh, with with the teams that they're dealing with. 
Yeah, so that was a big thing for me, mate, and, and, and good good sort of memory looking back on that. Um, what I found was, and I think you would have been on the receiving end um, when I first landed the job in the academy, was um, we had a great, we had a pretty good program at the Suns, um, and, and we're in Queensland. We're quite sheltered at times. I mean, it's a lot better these days when we now, you know, a couple of years later, we get to play against some Victorian teams and, and things like that in, in an underage level. But back then, you sort of, you're playing against Brisbane Lions Academy, First Suns Academy, and then you go into Queensland stuff and you play the Division Two states. Now, you could argue that you're quite isolated in terms of, okay, well, I'm going okay here and I'm, I've got my Suns Academy uh, singled on and I'm in an academy and I'm going pretty well as a junior footballer. Again, where I get back to the receiving end, but I remember going in and talking to you guys about you've got no idea what they're doing in South Australia. You've got no idea what they're doing in WA. You've got no idea what they're doing in Victoria. They're living and breathing this. Um, so how do I, as a coach, get you guys to do, you know, a bit of catch-up, I suppose? <laughs> how do we get you to to to, to, um, to get better at your skills? Because let's be honest, skills are probably the number one thing in Queensland that does, or, or non shouldn't say Queensland, non-dominant football state traditionally do to have is, uh, is generally um, the skill level drops off after you sort of top six to eight players. So we had to improve that. So that's something I really looked at and we created the handball club and that was just essentially 200 to 300 handballs or touch before you went out to train. Now, it was with a partner um, and you'd both be accountable to one another so you'd sign each other's name and we had a big sort of chalkboard or, or an uh, Excel spreadsheet and they got I printed off with a pen and and you'd sign it, um, and then that'd tick over. So then that looked like a bit of a competition. And as we know, the kids they love love competing, love points. And I think I threw points challenges in there. I think I different pre seasons we gave awards for for different um, you know players that, that achieved the most um, extra touch sessions or extra kicking sessions and things like before training. Because again, you get in the habit of going to training, and you go, okay, it's four thirty. Okay, you're coming from school for enough to get there at four. Um, you know, strapping, warm up. Okay, you're in there by four thirty, but Really, those sort of even that ten minutes, fifteen minutes, if you can set aside before training, um, and it's fun, it's it's um, it's measurable, um, and it's it's rewarding. I think they're those critical aspects of a coach. So talking about the coach, they can come up with those ideas before training, and as a player, I think as as you said before, you really enjoyed it, and you got better. Um, so that's all my job when I first got the academy was trying to create that, um, I suppose that feel and that environment of a high performance um, academy, but that we're going to be able to, uh, to get better in time and, and hopefully try to be able to match it with those with those other states and other players that you're competing against. Yeah, for sure. I think the idea of um, of, of coaches being a, um, someone that builds the environment for the athletes to, um, to flourish in and um, really being a facilitator, not an instructor, I think that was something that um, that I thought our, um, your coaching team on the, in, in the Suns Academy did really well. I remember just um, arriving to training and, as soon as you walk in the door, that's the environment you're in. You're, you're here to get better. And I think um, something I've learned as well is when you first get into coaching, you start to think it's it's all about um, just putting all your information on the athletes and 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 um, this is how you're meant to do it and this is the right way, this is the wrong way. Whereas I think creating an environment that allows the, um, the footballer to learn in is perhaps where the real value comes in. And I remember, um, I remember we used to have... Um, uh, like 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 handball games and like um, for those that that um, that aren't familiar with the term small sided games, um, basically a, a shrunken version of the, of, of the footy field, whether it's ten meters by ten meters, um, and you've got um, let's say some goals at either end, and, and 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 the same rules as footy, except you can't kick the ball. So 
sort of simulating, um, I guess, a stoppage um, on game day. What's the um, what's the motivation behind the small side of games, and and and, and what's the benefit um, from a training style like that as opposed to um, just lame work or one of the really sort of basic um, low stimulating drills? Um, in your experience, yes. Yeah, so what's a what's your take on the small side of games? Yeah, everything I've learned in, in coaching PD and courses and things I've done, and I know we at the Suns addressed that sort of last year, and and the AFL. Um, department are looking at it at the moment too, finding that balance between trying to do those breakdown skill drills versus all full ground drills and team drills versus those small-sided games um, that create engagement, that create fun, create competition. Let's be honest, we all go to training and we want to compete. Um, we do get sick of drills that are sort of up and down you know, tram tracks or train lines or, or lane drills. So my idea behind that was to try and create an environment that brings competitiveness, um, which, which you need as an AFL footballer, um, to build decision-making and, and skill execution under pressure instead of just up and down a lane. Um, and also, too, just to you know create that sort of environment where, as you said before, to actually learn on the run yourself and not actually get a coach to go out and, and whistle and, and sort of blow the whistle and, and tell you what to do every step of the way. And it gets a bit monotonous and, and over time you lose your engagement. So... There were the probably three or four critical pieces to, to why we sort of set that up. And I think since you've left, we've, um, we've transpired that into a uh, into an actual game night um, where we um, set up a whole night, in pre- usually in pre-season. So we get three seasons a week and one night a week is games and they're in there, they're in there four teams at pre-season. We start pre-season, we divvy them up, divide them up into teams and that's their set team and they compete every Thursday night. And that could be a small handball game to, to 18 v 18 at the end of pre-season. So... That's how that sort of um, came about, and, and it's it's massive. We, we again we reward them through points and prizes and lots of stuff, but it's just a way to, to keep the younger generation engaged. And, and, and I think there's been some great research around it, and I know from from coaching the players that they, they absolutely love it. And in contrast, you you still have to do those breakdown skills. I think that's again probably another segment of that one on one and how we created, but. I think there's a time and a place definitely for honing in on that skill. You need to be able to do both. So if you're falling down a certain aspect of your game, well, you've got to pick up the hours and, and do that on top of learning in that sort of match style or game sense um, environment. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a really nice contrast between, um, as you're saying, like like breakdown skills. So for example, the handball club where we come in and, and we work on, um, on on really clean hands and fast touch and then, to contrast that with a small sided game where all of a sudden we're under pressure and you could really see the um as you put the hours into the handball club the skills would come out in a in a, in a match like scenario and i think obviously on game day you're not going to touch the footy as much as you will in, in training so i think um reward for effort there was was a big one for me and I, I really like the contrast between um breaking a skill down and then also introducing it to a really competitive environment and um and the game's not i think that's awesome that's uh, that's something i'm gonna try and uh try and do as much as I can with, with the athletes I coach as well. I think, I think the, um, the the play aspect of training as, as you go through the system sometimes gets lost um, and you can get sort of into really mechanical, um, repetitive mechanical sort of sort of habits. And I think at the end of the day, the more you can practice playing footy in, the, in an environment that, that simulates um, simulates game day, the, um, the benefits are huge and... Um, I think yeah, there's going to be a lot of listeners out there that can can get a lot out of the uh, a lot out of the, the games night concept, um, and yeah, perhaps supersetting that or contrasting it with some with some breakdown drills. That's a that seems like a really nice sort of 
uh, really nice coaching setup to me. So, mate, while we're on the um, the topic of of skills, let's get a bit technical um, for a little bit. Um, we all know that in the in the modern game, you need to be able to kick the footy um, and kick it well. Everyone's got their own opinion on how you should kick the footy, how you shouldn't kick the footy. Um, my question for you is: Is there a right or wrong way to kick the ball, um, or does everyone have their own technique? Um, and yeah, do you have a, a philosophy around kicking? I do, um, and it's probably the most subjective topic uh, getting around and. I was fortunate enough with you, mate. I didn't have to teach you how to kick too much. Um, I'll give the listeners a bit, a bit of a back. <laughs> I'll have to teach me how to tackle. You, uh, with your kicking and give you a bit of a pump up while we've, while we've got it. Yeah, there's a few other things I can teach you. But um, now the kicking was was probably the area I really have to worry with you about. So, again, so if you look at someone like yourself and, and dealing with, I didn't have to teach you too much on that side of the game where other players you sort of do. So everyone's got a, a, a level of, um, I suppose, competence. Um, so when you're a coach, you need to look at that. And when you're a player, you need to understand that, and that's that's an area I need to get better at. Um, so with kicking, I think um, it's you think of a golfer, and and I'll ask you: Do you think that every golfer has got the same technique? No, absolutely, absolutely not. No, so they don't. Um, and probably again, your your topic of, of, of running or, or your your background in, in or what you're discovering now and what you're doing with high performance, no one's got the same technique. So my view on foot on, on kicking is that everyone's got a different technique. Um, but if I ask you the question, is there some fundamentals that everyone must have in kicking? 100%, 100% there is. So there's a ball drop, um, you know, sort of keeping the head over the football, um, obviously where, they, where they're dropping the ball into their boot. Um, and then obviously when they impact and they kick through it, um, they're getting that full momentum through their hips and, and, and landing on their kicking leg or, um, you know, getting that power through the kick and penetration and pointing your toe to target and things like that. So there's some little fundamentals. So that's what I'm big on as a coach at the moment, um, working with that individual, not necessarily changing it. Um, and from a one-on-one point of view with our, with our sessions around Australia, the feedback I'll get off coaches is the earlier they are picking up some bad habits or those fundamentals. So again, they've got their own technique, that their fundamentals, um, the quicker you can change, the younger they are. So that's what we're huge on at one-on-one football, being able to, um, really work on those skills and, and, and you talk about the hours spent on that I don't think you can spend enough time on it so you've got to do the hours with your small games and things like that at training you have to do that you can't rep it. you can't um, I suppose compromise that or you can't um, substitute it with the skill breakdown you've got to do it all together so the skill breakdown comes on top um, so back to the kicking is just hours and hours and, and knowing those fundamentals um, but working within your kicking technique yeah for sure I think the um I like the way you put that of, of, of what you what you do outside of training needs to be complementary. Um, you shouldn't be sacrificing, I guess, the um, the yeah the small side of games or whatever it is. I think everything, when you're adding something new into your schedule, it needs to be complementary. At the end of the day, you're not a different person when you're at training than you are when you're at home doing extras. So I think, um, yeah, I really I really like the way you put that. Um, with regards to kicking, I think figuring out what's, what's important to kicking, but then also figuring out how, well, what's my... What's my little weapon, and how can I incorporate that into um, into the framework of a really good kick? Um, yeah, I really like the way you put that. So, um, staying specific for a while, um, I remember coming through the academy again. I'm just gonna keep pulling up old, old drills and old uh, old techniques that, that you taught <laughs> me. Um, yeah, absolutely. We um we did the I think one of the one of the first drills that we did every training session was co- uh, what you called the rapid fire kicking drill. Um, it's a quite basic, but actually um, quite hard to do to do really well um 
So we might even be able to put the video up um, in the show notes or something afterwards. But um, could you just explain to the listeners, um, firstly, what is that drill? Um, how is it designed? And then also, how does that fit into your kicking philosophy? Yeah, so that drill is designed around being able to kick um, off minimal amount of steps. So again, not kicking off, kicking off zero steps, but not kicking off taking five to 10 steps to kick because as we know in the modern game, it's extremely fast. You need to be able to kick off one or two steps. So essentially, again, it's hard to sort of demonstrate um, verbally or um, over this sort of forum, but um, essentially it's a, a short 45 drill where you've just got uh, kickers up one end um, and it's um, a whole lot of footies. Um, kicker picked up, picks up the ball, throws it itself or throws it down on the ground, picks it up and then hits a short 45 kick to it to a lead. So it's like, it's essentially a glorified uh, version of, of, of lane work, but it's on different angles. A really basic drill, but it just, again, it, it's just, it teaches the ability to be able to switch on, set your feet and kick off um, you know, minimum step, steps and be able to punch that ball. So it's a, that, sort of, um, that sort of low, short inside 45 type of kick that we need in the game. It needs to be nice and low and punchy. So, yeah, that was one of the favourites. I think everyone really enjoyed that drill and we still do it today. Um, and, and mixing up those type of, type of drills. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think that um, what you just spoke about then as it being a glorified version of the traditional lane work, I think that's really powerful. The The amount of different variations that we can include in a very simple drill, um, it's, it's it's infinite really. Like, And at the end of the day, the um, again, coming back to motor learning, the way that the, the way that the system, the way that the athlete learns is through the variation in exercises. And then we, we sort of take the, the consistencies um, between that variation and that's what we hold on to, And that's what becomes part of our movement patterns. So I think um, taking a drill that's, that's very basic, such as, such as lane work and doing it on different angles, it's, 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 it's easy to manipulate. And perhaps the, the variation that it gives is, um, is, is enough to really embed those stable components in the footballers. Um, so obviously just covered a little bit, on kicking, um, one of the most important um, skills in the modern game, as we know. But um, through your time as a um, as a junior development coach, have you come across, or can you, um, I guess, highlight any other um, skill sets or attributes that perhaps don't get the attention that kicking, hand passing, and marking do? Um, and and how did, how does that uh, how does that help a young footballer in prepare for the draft or perhaps stand out from um, from their um, from their peers. I'm big on mindset. I think that's a whole skill. Is it a skill? Is it you know, sort of a, a thing that's ingrained in you? I think you can get better with with mindset over time, no doubt. Because you can coach the mind. Um, but mindset and under mindset is 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 the ability to compete, um, the ability to be aggressive, um, the ability to be resilient, um, and the ability to be team first. Um, there are a couple of my big mantras um, under mindset, and I'm I'm huge on that. So there's there's we've discussed at length um, through this this podcast um, today about your kicking um, how you get better how you develop how you get to that sort of pointy and a bit becoming an AFL player an AFLW player um, and then you get to a point where you got to go okay well to get drafted or to be drafted you've got to be able to be as you said a good kick a good mark clean hands um, and a few of the other tactical and technical um, uh, areas of the game, which you all got to be really competent. And now some stand out more than others. There's better kicks, there's better marks, but you really got to be at the level. Um, so taking that on board, if you get drafted or if you're aiming to get drafted, you've got to be sound um, and you've got to have at least two to three real weapons in those technical and tactical areas. You've got to be an elite kick or you've got to be an elite mark or 
elite clean hands or elite speed or elite endurance or whatever it is, and those sort of make up your matrix as a player. Now, the next step is that mindset. So I call this the, it's like a, um, it bridges a gap. So if, if you've got an incredible player, uh, sorry, a really good player um, with another really good player that make the draft or, or get through an article list, what then bridges a gap from those two individuals? And I guarantee it would be their mindset and the ability to, to for those four or five uh, key things that I spoke to uh, just mentioned, and under mindset, the ability to be able to adapt to that or get to get really elite in those areas quicker, that player is going to last a lot longer than that other player. So that paints a picture. So, yeah, the mindset's huge for me, mate. I think um, it just it separates so many good players. And if you've got huge natural ability and you look at all the superstars these days, um, Dangerfield, um, you know, Fife, um, Dusty, these type of players, they're extraordinary skilled players. Now, I'm sure there's some players out there that are just as skilled as them and, and just have enough talent and probably haven't got to the heights of those players because their mindset is nowhere near those players. So you look at Dangerfield and his performance throughout the final series and and, um, and that's just sheer confidence and aggression and intensity and his, uh, his mindset, um, resilience and all that sort of stuff we focus on. That's what really stands out in the end. So long-winded answer, um, but I'm really passionate about that. And I think um, and it's something I really worked on as a player. Um, I think the back end of my career, I was in the best mindset shape of my life. I, my body just unfortunately gave up. I just couldn't go as quick as I used to. I couldn't, um, you know, the players were getting bigger and stronger and things like that because of my knee injuries and lost, losing a bit of speed and agility and things like that. It just caught up with me. But my mindset um, was probably at its best and that's probably helped me in my coaching because you probably saw me come fresh out of the game and with this energy and mindset around um, being a, an elite athlete and an AFL player, that's why I was probably really passionate and still am around the, the, the sort of mindset stuff. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, um, that's I guess, somewhat untapped is um is is how do you develop your mindset and 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 how can you um i guess become mentally robust um so just on that topic um you mentioned that if there were um if recruiters looking at two footballers that might have the same athletic profile they might have um just a good kick just as good as mark as you um so for those out there that are perhaps preparing for the draft or looking to get drafted one day um is it true that recruiters in both the AFL and the AFLW, um, actually speak to your school teachers and um, and monitor your social media. Hundred percent, they do. And I think it's a big one for, for young footballers out there these days. That you've got to understand that, um, yeah, the recruiters will uh, look at you just as much off field as on field because they, again, they know you, if they're going to draft you, they know you've got the skills um, to to get to the you know around in a roundabout way, um, you know, the, the competency level of those skills to be able to get on the list. What they're going to dig, dig deeper is your attitude. Um, how you're going to buy into the team culture. What how you're going to simulate with you, with your team members, and, and then they look at your track record. Okay, well, what's school like? School is an organisation. It's a team approach, um, and things like that. And you're working with people all the time. So they, they go straight to your school. Um, yep, I've had um, phone calls and um, and uh, off players and and things like that. And if they said, yeah, they've spoken to my school, or, or they've looked at the report card, or they want to know now. Let's not stress out too much, Harry. They might not be like you, mate, and getting the ninety percentile of, of year twelve marks. Um, so you don't have to have you don't have to have the highest <laughs> grades, um, but you just got to have the right attitude. So all they're looking for is trying. So if you're at sixty percent, or if you're just passing, it doesn't matter as long as you're trying your efforts there and you're good and you got the good character and your character's good. Um, that's fine. Now if you have a misdemeanor, 
again, um, it's not the end of the world. Um, I think what AFL recruiters and, and, and even coaches and that are looking for these days is not necessarily a squeaky clean person. Now, that's great if you are, um, but if you're not and you, you have had a, a few issues along the way, it's not the end of the world. It's always you've got the ability because you, everyone's young. You've got the ability to change. You've got the ability to grow. and all, It's all about experience and the learning. And that AFL club will take that pun on you if they see that you've got the right attitude within, within the team environment. Um, and, and, you know, sort of it's very individual, but um, I can't speak for everyone, but, yeah, that, that, that actually does happen. And it makes a lot of sense that they would do their, their background research because at the end of the day, it's a it's quite a big investment for the organisation, um, for the football club to make in you. Um, I think what I took away from that was if you're a young footballer preparing for the draft, then perhaps thinking about how can you provide the most value to a football club um, return on their on, on the investment that they're going to make in you um, is perhaps a, a great way to approach it. Um, but perhaps more a specific approach. Um, so obviously, as, as I mentioned earlier, um, you were twice voted the most professional player um, across two different AFL clubs. Um, so obviously coming out of the game now and, and looking back at it retrospectively and, um, and, seeing, and seeing young footballers come through the same path, um, what do you put your professionalism down to? Um, and then also, how do you impart this knowledge onto, um, onto, the, onto the footballers that you coach today? Well, back to that sort of mindset thing, it, it does start around there, clearly. So if you're going to be a professional, it all starts in your, in your head and in your mind. Um, I don't think I was the most professional player coming through. I had some huge lessons early days um, around professionalism and, and, and punctuality, just little things, punctuality or um, attention to detail or, um, you know, not necessarily behavioural issues, but sort of going, you know, at the end of, end of season and whether you've, you've come back and your skin folds a bit more because you've had a good time. Um, you know, enjoying traveling or, or whatever it is. So I've got some, there's probably a whole nother podcast on old stories I can tell you on coaches that have, uh, have pulled me into line early days. But then that set the precedent, the precedent for me moving forward to be, okay, well, I've got, I've got X amount of time here. And, and, and as we know, talent's coming through all the time. It's, you know, it's, lists are currently changing. How do I, you know, um, I've got talent, no doubt. Um, am I the most talented? Probably not. Um, am I the least talented? Probably not. So how do I then, um, again, it's all about bridging the gap and, and, and being, um, I suppose you talk about the commodity and being valuable to, to your football club. How do I bring an extra value to the, to the team and, and the football club? And that was definitely around my professionalism. So it was around sort of when I went to Brisbane. Um, I just, again, missing three years out of the game. I think I played 15 games in three years from a dislocated patella, uh, multiple operations on my meniscus, lateral meniscus on the same knee. Um, and I was at the crossroads, to be honest, at 24, 20, uh, 25. Um, so I had to change my game and, and I became a defensive midfield to the tagger. And I had to really get that point of difference and how was that going to happen? Well, I had to improve my endurance. So I wasn't necessarily the best runner um, when it came to endurance, but I then um, looked at my diet, looked at my movement, looked at all the things that I needed to improve. And I actually really improved my endurance, which gave me the ability to then play in the midfield and cement a spot. Then I was going, okay, well, I've got to cement my spot now. I've got it back. How do I then keep going? And then it was around, um, you know, leadership and, and, and uh, diet and nutrition, said before, um, and setting the standards as a, as a person and as an athlete in, that, in, that, in the four walls of the football club. So that's sort of what I bring it down to. I think for me it was a bit of a wake-up call um, and how much I wanted an AFL career. So I think I've just made a pledge to myself that I wanted to be the most professional player possible and that was um, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and everything I did. Now, that's not saying I didn't have 
balance and didn't have a good time, uh, as I said before, in off-seasons or even a weekend off here or there when we got the chance and enjoyed, enjoyed myself and, and sort of let the hair down um, and, and ate and drank what I wanted. That, that's, there's no issue there at all. It was more so just when it was on, it was on, and, and I was going to be the most professional player I possibly be. And, um, yeah, I got awarded that award twice at Brisbane and, and at the Gold Coast in my last year. And I think that really sort of set up my career in coaching and the ability to be able to go, okay, I want to pass that message on to the next generation of players like yourself coming through and, and other players these days. So, yeah, hugely passionate about it, as you can probably tell in my voice. But, um, yeah, that's a bit of the background, the insight on, on those two uh, most professional awards. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think something that I've um, sort of picked up from you along the way as well is that um, professionalism is energy that you that you want to put anywhere. At the end of the day, it could be in your in your nutrition. There might be, a, I guess, a, a period in your, in your career where nutrition is something that you really need to work on or you really want to work on, um, and you can put your energy into that. It, but it doesn't have to be. It might be it might be extra runs. It might be extra touch. It might be whatever it is. But at the end of the day finding what that um, component is that perhaps might be might be missing from your game and then um, and then the magic really happens when it when it all comes together the other um, one too is the when no one's watching so I was big on that I remember when I, we set our values at the academy yeah. early days with, with with you and your cohorts coming through that it was um, it was more around I think it was a saying of what the man in the stand, or I remember, I think I learned that off Michael Voss, you know, the man in the stand. The or, man in the stand, or, yeah. You know, what are you doing when no one else is watching? And that's professionalism to me because we can all lift weights or we can all run fast or we can all, um, you know, do our two hour school session and, and do, do it or do our ice bath when everyone's watching. Okay, well, are you going to do it when no one else is? So off seasons, pre seasons, um, you know, extra sessions when they're, they're not team organized. Um, are you doing those extras or those? those things that are going to help you, um, again, bring, bridge the gap, which I'll talk about before, get you a game or get you drafted or cement a spot or wherever, it, where it's at. Um, that's that's sort of what the mentality was. Yeah, for sure. I think that's really powerful. I think that puts a really good um, visual stimulus in your mind when you're training. And I think we all want to do the extras and perhaps we have got some direction now to do do some extras and um, and, and, and apply that energy into into a professional training environment but without the team around and without the perhaps the motivation i think picturing that there is a recruiter literally sitting on the opposite side of the of the football oval watching every single thing you do um, with a pair of binoculars it sort of it encourages you to to bring that same intensity that you might have in those small sided games into your individual training and um yeah i think um if no if, if people don't get anything else out of this podcast let it be um let it be that that quote. There's a man in the stand. Um, that's uh, that's awesome. So we've spoken about recruiters talking to school teachers, but obviously in in uh, in in the modern day, we have much easier avenues of um, of doing some research on uh, on young people. Social media has obviously, um, I guess, come to fruition as of late. Um, do recruiters um, take note of 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 what what their uh, what their potential potential draftees are doing on social media? Um, and if so, do you have any tips on um, on how to uh, make sure that, that what recruiters are seeing is um, is what they want to see? Certainly do. It's it's a bit like your digital resume those days. I think your your, your social media accounts, whether it's Facebook. I know a lot of uh, kids uh, next generation, sort of from I suppose um, you know, thirteen years of age to sixteen years years of age these days have got Snapchat and, and uh, Instagram probably more more commonly, um, probably not necessarily Facebook, but some do. 
Um, so what recruiters will do, and even um, people like myself in my role will uh, monitor social media, and that's not that's not a threat or anything like that. It's it's more so just to make sure that the values and behaviours are, are sort of upheld off the field. Now, there's nothing again, nothing wrong with having a good time and things like that. But we do stress upon um, young footballers to boys or girls to really check your social media and make sure that um, there's an old saying and something that I um, do say to a lot of my athletes and, and players that if you don't want your parents to see it or if you don't want your grandma to see it, if you're if they wouldn't approve of that post or that um, something you've done on social media, then don't post it. It's pretty simple. So if you post something that you think that they wouldn't um, respect or they wouldn't um, condone, then don't post it. It's, it's really simple um, and... Yeah, I'll tell you what, um, there's a lot of people looking through your social media. Now, you might think, well, I've got mine on private. Well, guess what? There might be someone that makes a fake account, goes to add you, thinks is one of your friends or, or something that you might find of interest um, and add you and you think, oh, this is pretty cool about them. And that'll be probably the person that'll, that'll be watching you. So, again, um, it's it's not something to be, I suppose, um, frightened about. It's just something that's, that's real and I think um, every young football should be aware of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and sort of keeping on that on that topic, um, perhaps not so much not not uh, not only social media, but do you have any advice for parents um, and family out there um, who have a son or daughter who's trying to make it to the highest level? And um, what can the parents do to um, we're talking about facilitating development? Um, do you have any advice for what um, for what parents can do, or do you have any anecdotes of, um, of, of of really supportive parents in the past? Well, usually the most supportive parents, through the experiences I've had, the most supportive parents are the ones that I don't hear a lot from, and that's not that's not discrediting or, or sort of um, mocking parents that I do speak to from from time to time. There's no issue with with parents calling, um, or or it's a hard one. I think you'd you'd agree with this. We we I think all the feedback. I think from 16 plus in our programs um, at the Suns Academy is um, the feedback must be through the player, not the parent, because kids have got phones these days at 16, so we and they're young adults, so we think that they're they're probably the ones that should seek the feedback. Now, if there's an emergency issue or something does happen, then that's when the parents can get in touch. Um, so back to the most supportive ones, the ones that like again, not just saying because you, you're here, but I didn't hear much from your parents over the journey because I knew. They must obviously trusted you uh, for the role that you were doing, the role that they had faith in me and the trust that I was 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 um, I was playing a really good role in your life. So you didn't have much to do with that. It's usually when there is selection and it does get tough and I don't take anything away from parents that um, are emotional or um, want feedback or um, are invested in their kids' career because they're the kids, they love them. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just find the balance of actually it's the kid's journey and then it's not your journey. So it's it's their career. Um, so if they really want it, they'll get the feedback. Um, they'll improve. Um, they'll get the guidance off their coach. Now, if you disagree with that coach and you think as a parent, well, I know more than that coach, well, guess what? You're not the coach um, or you're not the administrator. You're not the person making that call. And that's the huge thing I think I've learned as a player um, and now as a coach that maybe, and I disagree with a lot of my coaches coming through, but that's fine. Go and have the conversation or the coach um, have the conversation with the player and I think that's the most important thing um, because it's it's about the player and again when you're talking about kids they are underage so I do get that the parents obviously monitor a lot and they do step in but 
it's probably a topic mode. I think we could probably do a whole episode on this about sort of the, the, the mantra or the behavioural stuff around sort of parents and you see the local games and the yelling and the yahoo and it goes on and it just puts extra stress and, and, and pressure on the kids and um, kids are precious. Um, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing being a kid and I think you've got to really protect that and, and I think um, the role as coaches that we play is to guide that through and, um, again, if there's, if there's stuff that parents do get upset about around their coaches and have that conversation, that's okay. But, um, it, again, just remember it's, it's your child's career, not yours. Yeah, for sure. I think the um, the mindset that whether you're whether you're a parent or, or a coach, you're part of your son or daughter's um, support network. And and again, I'm sounding like a broke record, a, a stuck record today. But I, I, what I, what I've um, what I've experienced, and I'm very grateful. Quick uh, quick shout out to Phil and Julie back home, mum and dad. Um, the best thing you can do as a parent is is, is or a coach is facilitate your um, the, the the footballer's journey and. And instead of thinking about how can you um, how can you buddy in and 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 directly help your son or daughter, I think the best thing you can do is is create an environment that allows them to do that themselves. And um, yeah, I think um, I think that's that's really good advice, mate. I'm I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that'll that'll take a lot away from that. Um, so there's a lot of hype that goes around the um, the draft, um, the draft combine, and um and, and how you should train and what's more important is it agility is it speed is it the 2k time trial um and i think we've had a few questions on the platform about um where where should athletes be or where should these young footballers be putting their energy when it comes to the draft combine should they be focusing particularly on the 20 meter sprint or the or the 2k time trial i think is a really good example it gets a lot of attention um does the data that um that recruiters see from those 2k time trials um as an example does that um how much of an effect does that have i guess on 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 their final decision as to whether or whether um, whether or not to to draft a young footballer yeah i think it all depends on your, your sort of your year you have leading to the draft it's a lot of things and i think if you regard as a top 10 pick or a top 20 pick you probably know that going in your high sort of first round draft pick then i don't think the 2k time trial is gonna um you know sort of do too much damage in terms of, um, you know, if you, if you do an average time that it wouldn't want to be poor. Um, but if it's, you know, if it's just sort of in that you could do better or it's not your personal best, I don't think that's in the world. Um, it also can, if you do an outstanding time and, and you've had an outstanding year, it probably could help um, the picking or the draft. It definitely has in the past. Um, so again, each year is different. Um, but the big one is probably finding out what you're really good at and nailing it. So if you've got an elite, motor um, and elite endurance will make it your 2k um, and then if you've got a really good um, you know you're really good at speed and your 20 meters is your one that you really want to focus on be excellent at that and, and do the do the work on, on on that because i think um, the more you can stand out and focus on your strengths is going to help yes you do need to obviously improve if you're struggling in, in your 2k and things like that um to get better and get an okay time i think there's there's nothing wrong with that but look there is a there is a bit of sort of um pressure on um, the players when they do do it but I wouldn't be stressing it. it's not the, the be all and end all but it, it does help um, if, if that sort of helps but your 2k you probably should be doing any tall players leading into a draft I'm talking probably males here have got to be under 7 minutes um, if you are a key position you sort of got to be around that sort of 705 to sort of probably 650 to 655 um, sort of hybrid players flankers wingers um, sort of third tools are going to be probably anywhere under sort of 650 to 630 and then midfielders are going to be doing anywhere from sort of 630 to, to and under um, and I would focus on that in 
in our draft combine training and, and um, we've had some pretty good results with some of our players over the journey in those sort of times and, and they're probably the girls are probably looking at anything sort of under sort of eight minutes and, and going really well if it's um you know sort of seven thirty, seven forty, I'm not too sure on the on the times and the records for the girls, but um, definitely sort of aiming to sort of get under that, that eight minute mark which which will help and I think two K is a really good barometer um, or indicator for, for the uh, for the AFL running those days. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, something I just took out of that is that um, don't be afraid to work on what you're already really good at because I think we get we all we all get caught up on I guess completing the circle and, and making yourself the most um, the the best player in every aspect of Aussie rules football. And at the end of the day, there's always going to be a Jeremy Howe that can jump higher than you or a or a Buddy Franklin that can kick sixty meters further than you can. Um, I think that's that's really powerful, and, and and hopefully a lot of people out there um, picked up on the on 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 the same concept of really look to turn those strengths into weapons. Um, I think that can can really stand you out from the crowd, and then um, and then all of a sudden there's 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 another reason we're talking about bridging the gap in the um, in the mind of a recruiter. That's that's another reason just to to push you over the edge. Um, so yeah, awesome awesome advice there, mate. Um, just to um, just to wrap us up. Um, so let's talk about the platform for a bit. One-on-one football. Um, it's obviously been around for two years now. Um, a, uh, a business that you um, are very passionate about, but um, but have also you, you, you've ridden it the whole way up to where it is now. Um, for those who are unfamiliar with the platform, um, could you just give us an overview of the company, um, how it's grown since the launch back in 2018, and um, of course, what's, what motivated you to bring this this idea to life? Yeah, so one-on-one football was um, launched, as you said, in 2018. It was a bit of a soft launch. It was more of a test and review for the first sort of six months and full-time work with the Suns um, obviously was sort of hindered with some hours that I could spend on the business. Um, but it was an idea I had to get out there. Um, it's, it started um, as a, the, a way where I wanted to connect um, local coaches um, or you know accredited AFL coaches, former AFL players with um, up-and-coming footballers, um, whether that be male or female, for private tutelage, um, private tuition with um, one-on-one, like the name, or small group sessions. Um, we, we cater for small group sessions up to six. Um, we've got another couple of features now where, where you can actually do large large group sessions, but primarily we're, we're, um, we're sort of, we're sort of um, yeah, that's sort of more one-on-one skill-based um, at the moment, but um, we started in 2018 and it was around sort of 10 to 12 coaches, I think, for our launch and that test review part for the first sort of six months. Um, and now we've grown to over 140 coaches Australia-wide, which is phenomenal. Um, through COVID, we've been able to, I suppose, amplify our, our, um, our platform in terms of um, the scalability. Um, a lot of um, AFL coaches um, have lost their jobs and, and, and other people in the industry have lost their jobs and they're jumping on board the platform and being able to supplement some income for them and, and their livelihood. Um, and also footballers in this time has been really hard to train with um, teams or clubs. Um, so it's been a great avenue for them to be able to keep their game on track and being able to work in that sort of small group or one-on-one environment. Um, and we've built some amazing um, services over the last sort of six months um, with yourself. We've done the, um, you're the co-founder of, of the online programs, which we've got skills, strength, um, and um, now... Um, some running and sorry, a new one, mindfulness movement, which is sort of like Pilates yoga, a mix of that. Um, and these online programs you can do anywhere or, or anytime. Um, just to give footballers that talk about the extras before, give them 
the opportunity to be able to do extras over time and, and that gives you a video um, uh, online video access to, to all those drills and exercises so it's growing um, I still think um, we're really only just starting um, which is which is quite exciting I think um, you know it's, it's it's going to be really exciting in the next couple of years for some of the ideas we've got and um, again, another service that we just launched was where you can book a coach um, to go and view your game and give um, a match summary or uh, match performance summary on on the footballer's game, and that's um, been really well received. And that that product's called Scout. It's all all this stuff is is uh, is on the platform. It's all a, a one stop shop for all this. And as I said, it's uh, it's really exciting. But the idea came about. Um, and I'll tell you when it came about. When I was First in the academy, and we had to uh, to fine tune the list and um, take the list from sort of sixty players to to thirty players. Um, and I had only been the job for a month or two, and, and I was with one of the uh, few of our colleagues there, and we're discussing, you know, and it's it's one of the hardest jobs I think I ever did. I think I'll never forget it, dropping players that we, we again we've probably got listeners on here today that that are that's all they want. They just want to play for football, and, and they think that by leaving a squad like this that that's their that's their time that they're done. Um, and it's certainly not. It's, it's obviously going to make things hard. Um, but then giving feedback, going, well, you need to work on your marking or your kicking. And the player will go, okay, well, how? And I'll be like, well, that's a fair call because I don't have the time to spend over 60 players to work one-on-one with you and you're marking, you're kicking um, or you're running. And I know there's been a lot of running coaches for, for, uh, for years and things like that. And obviously one-on-one skill stuff's probably been going unofficially on for years. But I thought, how do we create a, an avenue where we can get these um, kids into coaching and work in those areas that they want to work on? And that's how the idea sort of, sort of um, yeah, came to fruition. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And um, perhaps something that, um, that I think everyone can benefit from. I mean, we we've already discussed that problem of not a problem, but the um, the young footballers or um, or highly motivated footballers want to do extra, but perhaps don't have the the guidance. Well, um, I think that's that's where the real value of the of the platform comes down to is that you can now log on, search your area, and and find a coach that can provide you not only direction um, for doing extras in general, but also individualized direction. So they can, they can help you find those areas that, um, that perhaps you, 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 you need to, to add to your game in order to become the most complete player you can. And um, I think you're doing great things, mate. And um, there's, a, there's a lot of footballers out there that are, that are very grateful for, um, for the platform and for their own individual coach that they've, uh, they've been working with. Um, yeah. For the past couple of years. I mean, it's just been incredible to hear some of the stories about sort of not just the physical, we talk a lot about skills, but, I think in this um, episode, we've spoken a lot about the mindset and some of the feedback we're getting off around Australia, um, off some of the coaches, parents and footballers is that the ability that they've connected the football and the coach and build this incredible relationship. We talk about mentorship um, and it's not just about the skills, um, it's about um, forming that relationship and that, and I suppose that, that person that they've got in their life that, that, it, that it is a bit of an independent source and that can really help them navigate um, their way through uh, their journey in trying to be an April footballer. So, yeah, it's a um, hugely uh, passionate area of mine and um, yeah, really, really looking forward to what we can uh, achieve over the next couple of years. Fantastic. So that's about all we've got time for today. Uh, Rainsy, thank you very much for being the uh, the first guest on uh, on your own show. Um, I know I, I learned a lot out of um, out of all your um, out of all your wisdom and um, and hopefully all the listeners um, uh, did so too. Thanks for listening to the one on one football podcast. 
If you got something out of today's episode, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to stay updated on future episodes, special guests, and more, feel free to subscribe to the show on your chosen platform. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. One-on-one football, connecting footballers with private AFL-accredited coaches Australia-wide. Register now at oneonefootball.com.au.